0: So I want to talk about a a reoccurring topic, but this time I want to speak on it with a different approach. One of the things that you got to understand is this, and I've said this before, but it serves as a good reminder that teaching is descriptive, Okay it describes preaching it prescribes. In in other words, it's not necessarily describing to you what the text says. It's telling you to obey that text and good preaching will include teaching, right? But there's this unique relationship between the heart and the mind. The mind can't be informed with too much if the heart needs to be affected. And this is what a lot of young preachers um, don't realize. Um, And they learn, or hopefully they should learn at some point. Even if you're sharing the gospel, you must understand that if your intention is to affect the heart, and when I say that, Well, understand that I I know that you as human cannot humanly affect the heart. It's God's word with the power of the Holy Spirit. So in in any case, I say you understand in parentheses, I'm ultimately referring to God, but God using you. But preachers would uh, typically when they want to affect the heart, I see this is a very common mistake. They bog people down with too much information. And so what you are doing is you're inviting the mind to participate in what is being said. Now, in in all cases, whenever you hear preaching, the mind is always engaged, right? But when you are giving new information and the whole sermon is orientated around specifically just new information, what happens is... Now you need to do more of active listening. And and now the heart is almost moved out of the equation because the mind is so intentional about paying attention to what is being said and not, and following point by point with its logic. Right. And, and so that's why it's probably a stupid thing to go into Greek, the Hebrew Logical sequences when you're trying to reach a crack at it. <laughs> right. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, um it's not, it's not good. And that's why um, you'll see in Ray Comfort, I like, I like referring to him because he's a good example. What is his points? If you watch his videos, what does he say? I target the conscience. I target the conscience with simple gospel, right? <clears throat> when people ask these outlandish questions like, oh, you know, what about evolution? Or what about, you know, or what about aliens? You know, what they're, what's happening is you can go into a rabbit trail so much and then get into an argument. And don't get me wrong, there are some times when it's appropriate to engage or to counteract if you discern that they're sincere. Or even sometimes if it's a public gathering and you want to disprove the person for the sake of the hearers who are actually wanting to know, right? But don't allow that stuff to lead you down the rabbit trails. You keep like a pit bull on me, stay stuck on the conscience to affect the heart. <clears throat> and so that, that remains within the category of, of preaching it's prescriptive like a doctor prescribes you here take this right but and and there's a point for that and and I, i i lay out these two different categories because i think much of my talk of prayer is ultimately prescriptive it i i hope to intend on focusing on our hearts because in my experience a lot of the times it's not necessarily that we don't know what prayer includes or, or the conditions that we should meet before we pray appropriately. A lot of times the struggle is actually getting our hearts to want to get to pray. And so therefore I intend, uh, most of the time to, uh, to focus on the heart. But today I want to focus more on the, the mind. And, and this is where I think it would be good for us to actually take some notes. Um, to go back to this way it will serve as reminders and i want to qualify my my talk of prayer today but i want to qualify it by uh talking about effective prayer okay so there is a sort of prayer praying that is ineffective that can cause us to waste time right um There are biblical examples to this, and one of the examples is the Pharisee. The Bible says in Luke, I think in the 18th chapter, says that he prayed thus to himself. But what's interesting is he uses the language of talking to God. He says, God, I thank thee, that I'm not, not like other men, like this wretched tax collector right here. So he uses uh language to address God, but the scripture tells us that he prayed to himself. Okay, so um, number one, on the list of effective prayer, or in prayer that's effective, ultimately gains results, gains answers to it, is, and this is assumed, but, and and this is probably to some think, uh, might think that it's better left unstated because it's so obvious, but it's praying in accord with the will of God. <clears throat> um, it's not so obvious when it comes to our lives in practice. So again, it's praying in accord with the will of God. Um, why is this important? And why is it, it, it here's, a, here's a thing that, especially people that use their head a lot, they, they tend to not be able to understand they always say if it's god's will why must i pray and there's this one brother that I, I respect and he he's very knowledgeable and he wants some sort of justification for it. i said bro if for no other reason than the fact that god told you to do it you don't have to give you a good reason or it doesn't have to make sense to you if god intends for this to come to pass because it's his will And God says, pray because, and you're asking why, do it because God said, for no other reason. If God says, ask a thousand times and then hop on your foot 100 times, do it because he said. It doesn't always have to make sense to our minds. But if there was a reason to be given, it would probably be because God invites us to relationship. God invites us to relationship. But in practice, it is probably the most difficult thing. Why? I remember one of the things that Ravenhill had pointed out. He says, have you considered, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, have you not considered that we're perhaps some of the most stupidest people telling omniscient and omnipotent God how to run the world? (laughs) That's so interesting. Interesting. (laughs) it's really interesting when you think about it like that but um that's why it's so important that we pray in accord with his will because when we pray his will this is basically what's happening god is telling you what he wants to see in the world and all he's asking you to do is to restate to him what he already wants to see because he knows how the world ought to be and he knows how our lives ought to be Right. And that's where the mind's like, well, that doesn't make much sense. Why doesn't God just do it anyways? Um, Here's the reality that there are many things that are God's will. And the Bible tells us in James, God will not do because you have not asked. James makes that very, very clear. It says you have not because you ask not. Um, It does not mean you do not have. Um because you do not ask but even if you do not ask you go ahead and god will go ahead and give it to you anyways it's not what the text says or even furthermore the text doesn't say you have not because you asked not but don't worry because god is sovereign he'll give it to you anyways even if you don't ask god says very clear for us to ask and um <clears throat> okay so anyways i wanted to read a passage go to first john chapter 5 verse 14 first john chapter 5 verse 14 and the reason why i like for us to read is for us to be able to see it right there in the text and as a side note If you want to be able to identify false teachers, because what what, what we're actively engaged with right now is listening to a teaching, and I want us to have a, a whole lot more confidence in God's word, but also a confidence in true ministers of the word, and a discrediting of those that do not rightfully teach the word. one of the main characteristics of false teachers is that they will not point you to the word, right? They're not going to say, let's seek for biblical justification for my position. Those that minister rightly say, let's look at the text. What does the Lord say about this matter? Let us analyze. Let's take in the totality of our understanding of the doctrine of Christ, the gospel what other authors in in the text have said in in the entirety of the Bible, John Calvin says we cannot understand the mind of God by a single verse because uh, a single verse doesn't exhaustively uh, explain the mind of God. You need the totality of scripture to be able to do that. But as we analyze the scripture, is it in its context? Are we taking into account grammar? Are we taking into account the logical flow of the, the thought So no verse is isolated. You look at the preceding verses that come before. and What is the theme? What is the intention of the author? What are the cultural issues at the time? These are all things that really do matter. Definitions. That's why looking into Greek and Hebrew is also very important. What did the definition mean? What is the scope of its definition? What can it mean? Right? Um, But anyways, 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 says and this is the confidence that we have toward him i'm i don't have a the um the greek that i can pull up here but my under my, my assumption is that the word confidence is the word pistis and it, it's greek for faith so where does our faith come what grounds faith what grounds faith is god not ourselves so, what is the confidence that we have toward Him? Our confidence is toward Him, in Him, and from Him, right? Not in ourselves. <clears throat> that if we ask anything, man, the scope of prayer and what it can accomplish is very much if we ask anything according to His will. So, wherein lies our confidence? Ultimately, it's in God. But we have access to the mighty hand of God insofar as we pray in accord with his will. And that therein lies our confidence. And we are assured that he does hear us. He does. So what would that suggest? That if we do not pray in accord with his will, he does not hear us, right? Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, And whatever we ask, we know, not that we speculate, not that we hope, not that we would wish. We have a knowledge. Do you know that you're on Zoom right now? Yes, you don't doubt it. Right? You don't doubt the things you have a knowledge of for certainty. But our confidence in the word of God is greater than that of our our empirical observation. Right? That would suggest we're walk, we know by sight, but this we know by faith. And my, my stance is that we can know f- things uh, that pertain to faith greater than those things that we can know that pertain to our sight. Because the, the physical realm fails, but God's word never fails and never perishes. But therein lies our confidence. And he says, if we, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We have them. Here's a beautiful thing. Not that we will have them. We currently have, the moment we ask, the requests that we've made to him. We have not yet seen the manifestation of those requests. So if, if, if God says, if you pray, Lord, Lord, give me a husband that's after your heart that you know whatever you know that serves you with everything and he walks purely and uprightly or you know if brother you know david says lord give me a wife that loves you with all her heart you know and so and so right you have that request you do not yet see it it come to fruition in life but it has been granted nonetheless if it be in accord with his will and so the fact that god would hear us implies we have we have those requests and so think about the 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 scope of possibility that lies within god's power and resources so am i in need financially well it's not god's will for me to be broke and i'm not teaching prosperity gospel i'm not saying you know it's your will is god's will for you to have a rolls royce or a ferrari and for you to have x y and z but it's but it's nonetheless it's not god's will for us to be destitute and broke and poor right the bible says in second corinthians that having all that when we sow in accord with god's will it was so in accord to um his kingdom it says that he will grant us all sufficiency right that we may have a sufficiency in all things for his kingdom <clears throat> so is it finances is it strength is it forgiveness is it joy is it hope uh what is it that we need is it courage is it understanding is it discernment is it wisdom all these things we can have a confidence that will be given to us, right? So it's endless. And so I guess a good question for us is why do we not pray more? Why do we more worry more than we pray? It's maybe because we don't have that great of a confidence. And I can say by the Lord's mercies that over the years I have gained a, a, a more of a confidence that isn't predicated upon feeling, but it's upon, but it's upon a, a knowing, because I, I have not yet failed to see God come through. Um, I heard a testimony just recently, and this kind of ties into the prophetic as well. And I, I as you guys know, I, I really love prophetic ministry. There was this man, um, was at a burger joint. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys call that. <laughs> Uh, call it that over there in europe but he was at a a restaurant right um and he was ordering a burger and the guy had two hundred dollars and he said and he was teaching on the prophetic how to hear from the lord and one of the things he pointed out he said the flesh don't speak to you the flesh is a material substance it doesn't speak to you Your own spirit speaks to you, or it's a demonic spirit, or it's the Holy Spirit, right? And the devil will always try to plant thoughts, right? Your own spirit will rise up and doubt God, but the Holy Spirit speaks faith to you. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, give that man $100. And he reasoned this way. He says, the devil certainly didn't tell me that. Why would the devil want me to be generous? (laughs) I didn't tell myself that because... My spirit knows it wants comfort because the flesh will, you know, here's the thing. There's, there's overlap between, there's a compatibility between our spirit and the flesh in the, in that if my flesh is affected, my spirit can be affected. I can become grieved if I'm not mobile or I'm obese. I can't do the things I used to, I'm in pain. So my spirit is grieved. And the devil can speak to your spirit because of your body affecting your spirit and tell you God's not going to heal you or, you know, many things. So it often relates or my spirit can be so affected by doubt and worry that it can affect my body. I can begin to lose hair. I can become, I can develop high blood pressure. Right. Um, But anyways, He says, I know that the devil didn't tell me that because he didn't want me to be generous. Check this out. So um, the guy, he prayed, he said, God, if you are real, have someone in this restaurant give me $100. And so the guy who received that prophetic word says, hey, man, uh, I know this sounds crazy. I even think I'm crazy. But God told me to give you $100. And the guy broke down crying. He says, dude, I just prayed before I came in this restaurant. God, if you're real, because me and my family are hungry. If you're real, have someone give me $100. He gave him $100. And so, but notice, notice the mercy of the Lord. (laughs) That he would answer the prayer of a inquiring soul. Now, here's the thing. God is under no obligation to answer unbelievers. Especially if they don't come to Christ, if those sort of prayers, God, if you're real, if God answers those sort of prayers, it's in sheer mercy, because they're not in covenant with him. And that's why intercession is so important, the church intercedes for unbelievers, so God will move on their behalf for our sake, right? But um, but God acted in his sheer mercy, nonetheless, because <laughs> God wanted to show off. <laughs> that's so amazing. Um, I love that. Because God, God is merciful. God is merciful. He doesn't desire the death of the wicked. He wants to help those that sit in darkness. And um, <clears throat> But anyways, going back to this text is praying in accord with the will of God. Um, and so let's read one other one. It's John chapter 15, verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Again, John chapter 15, verse 7. So what does that mean? How can we better pray the will of God? Well, uh, for starters, is there, there's, there's, there's a battle here. One is for the battle of the mind, which includes our knowledge of the will of God. And then our own will that conflicts with his will, right? So if I don't know what his will is, and I will never come to know it if I don't read his word, right? That's half the battle. But once I do come to know it, then the second battle is actually getting myself to pray his will. Look at Jesus. He says, if there be any other way, remove this cup from me. Let this cup pass, but nevertheless, not my will and but your will be done and look it the prayer was answered it wasn't so pleasant but it was nonetheless the father's will but it says very clearly it says if you abide in me and my words abide in you one of the thoughts that came to my mind today was if you only could read the verses you've highlighted in your bible Would people be inclined to think that you believe the prosperity gospel from all the verses you've highlighted? Or or do we highlight enough to see the treasures of our hearts, both the comforting things and some of the more difficult things, all right? Have we highlighted some of the convicting passages in Romans, but only, but... Or have we only highlighted the comforting passages in the Psalms? And there's nothing wrong with highlighting comforting passages. I mean, they're there for a reason. God has spoken it to us for a reason. But um it doesn't just say his word. It says, if his words bite in you. And I think a much of our ineffective praying is that people are selective with what they want Jesus to say. Right? <clears throat> But that implies that we got to do some reading and, 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 and maybe do uh, uh, some praying, saying, God, help conform my mind to these words that I am reading. Help my mind to be renewed and shaped and molded. You know, our minds are like, um, our minds are very adaptable. That's why brainwashing is effective. And that's why being critically minded is so important. Because we must analyze what comes into our minds. Um, So we would do well if we prayed, Lord, may these words abide in me. Um, What was Who was it? Lydia, I believe, said she pondered those things that were spoken to her or Mary, she treasured and hid those, those things that were spoken to her. Or David said, I have hidden your word in my heart. I may not sin against you in Psalm 119. So there's this hiding. That means it's precious. I'm tra- drawing it nigh unto me. It's not for everybody to see. It's not for everybody. Cause there are some swines that will trample it. I treasure it in my heart. And so. But nonetheless, it means that we got to get to know God in his word, right? And so, excuse me. Um, that's the first one. Number two is praying with faith. So number one, we pray in accord with the will of God. And number two, we pray with faith. Go to Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. This is what the word of the Lord reads. It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So again, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer. There's that word whatever again. That encompasses a lot. Lord, I believe that you're going to give me a job. Oh, Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Um, you fill in the blank. What is it that we're needing of the Lord that accords with his will? And as we ask him, he promises that we it will be ours. It will be ours. Um, in james chapter one also says in verse six ask in faith with with no doubting right so that kind of accords with that passage right there they they complement each other and so there's other passages as well that that finds this reoccurring command that we are to believe God. Why is it so important to believe? Like, why is it that Jesus places a high priority upon faith? Because faith is persistent. Faith doesn't give up. And sometimes Jesus will put us off because he's wanting to see the expression of faith in our lives. Look at the woman that could have easily been discouraged when Jesus had responded to her, when she had asked for a certain request from the Lord. <clears throat> and Jesus says, it's not meat for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. She could have easily been discouraged and have gone on. But what did the Lord say? Oh, no, what did she say? She says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs, does, is, you know, are worthy of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Right? And so what did her confession imply to the Lord that this woman got faith? So, for example, and this is, this is something that you guys need to learn, too, that applies not only to prayer, but it also applies to the prophetic. Sometimes the Lord wants you to step out and your mind is thinking, I'm going to look foolish if this is wrong. (laughs) And, but why? He wants to see, do you really have faith in him? Do you really have faith in his word? Or are you more worried about how people are going to receive you, perceive you, think of you? Because faith has to transcend those obstacles, right? There's been times where I'm like, man, this is sounds so crazy. Like, and, and, and here's another thing. It's a test of not walking by sight. there has been some some things where God would show me something about someone. I'm like, well, they look so happy. That doesn't, that doesn't fit with how they look. And God says, are you going to say it? Or are you you just going to, are you worried about, you know, what are you worried about? And I'll share it. And then they'll start breaking down crying. I'm like, wow. Like it goes to show how tempted we are to walk by these things right here. But we're not, but we need to walk by this. When I say this, I'm not talking about our hearts. I'm talking about God's word spoken to our hearts. And that's why, um. You know, I like what my cousin said. He says, um, um, "He says I'm a blind man. I can see." <laughs> what he means is, I don't walk by sight. I'm blind, but being blind to the world is the prerequisite in order to be, in order to see God. In order to see by faith, I'm a blind man. Therefore, I see. It's it's a paradox to the world. <clears throat> But the Lord honors faith in speaking out in the prophetic. He honors faith in speaking out um, in prayer. Right? If, if the Lord asks you, go pray for that sick person. And it's like, I don't believe. Then you're not going to go do it. And so I think the Lord is wanting some people that are willing to look foolish. that's cool I like my faith I'm legally blind (laughs) I'm 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 biblically blind (laughs) I don't know if you guys remember this old uh, video some years back Uh, it was um, girl she stole a car and she's like and she had no hair though I don't know if she was you know lesbian or something Uh, but she said how I'm going to steal a car? I'm legally blind. Because <laughs> the cops caught her, you know, and like in the stolen cars, or I don't know what happened. Um, but she said, How am I going to steal a car? I'm legally blind. And they're like, So you can't see? She's like, I can see barely. <laughs> Anyways, um, <clears throat> but I like that statement. Number three is obedience. Psalm chapter 66, let me write that down. Psalm chapter 66, verse 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Another one is Proverbs 15. Verse 8. And it says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But on the contrary, it says this. The prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. <clears throat> um, Proverbs chapter 15. Verse 29. Let me read that one. It says, "The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous." So, while I, I do readily acknowledge that we're all, we've all received the imputation, the the imputing righteousness of Christ. That's what makes us right with God. We can't stand before a holy God on our own perfection, our own merit on our own righteousness? There's no way. And Job, he, he, he expresses this very thought in the book of Job. It says, what mortal man can be just before God? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one can. It we need it, We need a holy, spotless, perfect mediator between us and the Father, right? But there is also a very practical righteousness that we as the church must walk in if we are to gain effective, if we we're going to gain effective results in our praying to the Lord, that doesn't mean sinless perfection, but there is a there is a sort of a brightness that we do walk before the Lord that God honors. That's why it says in Elijah's case, it says <clears throat> in the book of James, it says that the prayer of a righteous man, uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, avails much. In other words, it accomplishes very much the fervent and the fervent prayers of a righteous man, right? So there is a component of obedience. Sometimes, you know, for example, if someone is living in open rebellion, they ought not have any form of confidence thinking that they will be heard. If they're seeking first their own kingdom, but they're praying, God bless me with his job. It's not going to happen, right? Because James says this: You have not because you ask not, and when you do ask, you ask selfishly to spend it on yourself, to be self-centered, right? Someone, someone says. You know, oh, I want God to bless me with his job because I need enough money to pay for a ring because I'm going to get married. And the person is not a righteous person, right? They're unequally yoked. You think God is going to answer that? You know, it was funny because (laughs) I remember I was hearing an old preaching. uh from this pastor uh it was it was old church i used to attend but i have it recorded and he says you know it's funny how so many times people ask for jobs uh from the lord and and uh but but the moment they get a the a wife or a husband or a job they get knocked out of fellowship with the saints and he says oh yeah the devil holds job fairs everywhere employing people <laughs> The point is, sometimes people want to say it's God, but it's the devil that sets people up and gives, a, 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 invites people to, you know, like, come here, receive what your flesh wants. Right? <clears throat> but so obedience is um, indispensable. It's uh, It's necessary. All right, so number four is confession of sin. See, when we turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, what does the Lord say there? Um says and forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those that have sinned against us so this is jesus's response to those who had asked him how to pray <clears throat> and what is it exactly he says he says you got to pray in this way forgive us of our sins lord As we have also forgiven those who have sinned against us. Right? So there is a need for confession. Because even though we are his children, it's kind of like this way. If my son, he's my son regardless. But let's say he did something wrong. And shortly thereafter, he says, dad, can we go to the park? Or, dad, can I get a toy? The answer is going to be obvious no. There's something important that you need to deal with. And you need to say sorry for. In order for you to gain a good standing with me again. So you can heal this relationship. Or you 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 repair whatever you've wronged. So we can move on together. Right? So... We have to make a daily confession of sins. And I think this this outline of Jesus' prayer contradicts the doctrine of sinless perfectionism. Because prayer is a daily thing. And if within the very outline, Jesus says, in this way, pray, how do we know it's a daily prayer? He says, give us today our daily bread. So, If the the prayer for bread every day has not changed, then it would also imply that our daily confession ought not change. Or our giving glory unto God as the Father ought not change. This is all right here in the outline. It's a daily prayer that we must pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right? Right? Um, so, but that leads to the second point, and it's forgiving others. He says that right there in verse twelve. So that's point number five, is forgiving others in prayer. You know, it's, it's really interesting to me how spiritual people act, and they got a lot, a lot of um, problems with people, um, and they cannot ask for forgiveness they cannot apologize they will not humble themselves they leave a problem they bury problems and they have now now that doesn't mean that we have to be friends with everybody it's not what that means but if there are genuine brothers and sisters that we have conflict with that we have not settled and you can even feel it in the atmosphere you know and and you haven't done anything on your part the bible says live at peace in with all men as long as it depends upon you but if you've done your part right that's one thing but if you haven't and you're the one that caused it all the more and and you have on against them and unforgiveness then that can very well explain why there's hindrance in your prayers or um Like uh, Peter's exhortation to the husband says, you know, live with your wives and, you know, in an understanding way. And he says, lest your prayers be hindered. So that's how we give the devil a foothold is when we have arguments with people. Uh, People rub you wrong and you don't talk about it. And you have unforgiveness in your heart festering. That's what hinders And then guess what the devil does? Just keeps gnawing at you, gnawing at you, gnawing at you. Because he has an area of weakness that he can grip you, right? And and it doesn't allow you to move forward, right? And so this is really important that we forgive others. Um, But I want to say this too, don't be stupid. Don't allow anybody into your life. Um, That doesn't mean you have to be friends with everybody. Some people that are so, so toxic that need to be cut off. In fact, in some cases, it will be disobedience to God if you don't cut certain toxic people off. You know, I don't believe in this hippie Jesus stuff. Just tossing flowers to everybody with the peace sign and smiles all the time. No, man, there's some wicked, ravenous wolves that need to be smacked up with a staff by a shepherd and say, get out of here. For real, I mean, that, that's, that's Bible right there. If the Lord describes himself as a shepherd and there's a staff, what do you think they do? What do you think a shepherd does? And so the reason our generation finds statements like that repulsive is because this generation doesn't know God, including the church. They think that, you know, we're just supposed to be doormats for everybody to walk over. No, that's not true. <clears throat> so um, I, want, I wanted to give you this insight really quick before we move on. <clears throat> the word forgiveness does not mean what you think it means. I, I really love this is where there's certain terms in the Greek that really draw out its very enriched meaning. It comes from the Greek word aphiemi, and that means I forgive, okay? But it means I permit or I let go. So let me give you a prime example. What do I permit? What do I let go? I let go of the debt that you are in because of your offense to me. When I was working at the gospel mission, there was a man that backed into my car and scuffed it. I could have, you know, it's really interesting. I believe God humbled this man because you know why? Because when a cop had come to the homeless mission, because cops come, I mean, you, you guys knew, like, on the Telegram group, I had to call the cops, like, almost twice, sometimes three times a week. The cop accidentally bumped into his car. And he required the cops pay him back. Well, not long after that, he bumps into my car. Guess who forgives him? Me. And I wasn't expecting anything returned. return. I wasn't trying to smash it in his face or anything. But what did I do? I let him go from a debt that he needed to pay. I permitted. I let go. He was in a rightful debt. And what, what it implies is that you bear the damage that someone else should have paid for. Because if I want to get it fixed now, it wasn't, like, devastating damage, but it was still a scuff. It's like, you know, you bumped into my car, nonetheless, you know, that requires paint and stuff. But but I, now, it comes out of my payment. So, in other words, I, I myself, take it upon my shoulders to pay what you have indebted yourself to. Right? Um, so... When we forgive, what we do is we bear the debt and we incur the damage. That's what happened with Jesus. He incurred the damage for our sins and He died. He paid our debt. We were indebted with the payment of death and He said, I will pay in full. So it doesn't mean that it's going to be a pleasant experience of forgiving it's painful right and it doesn't mean that you're going to feel all sentimental and and happy and and you just toss out forgiveness everywhere here forgiveness for you forgiveness for you it's associated with pain but it's the will that says i still will to forgive And I think this is liberating because sometimes, at least in my earlier years, I thought that I was supposed to feel happy and joyous every time I forgive and forgiven. And that's just simply not true. My will says, I'm going to honor God. This is painful, but I'm going to let this go. And I think that's more realistic Christianity. It's not plastic and fake because it acknowledges that we are still humans and we go through things and this process of forgiveness isn't always easy. Um. Number six is humility. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, let me write that down. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's also in James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. James chapter four, verse 10 says, therefore, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You know why sometimes um, with a recent situation of mine, uh, someone refused to humble themselves. And guess what? They don't get exalted by the Lord. Because they lift themselves up. But what happens is when you humble yourself before the Lord, he lifts you up. And so, um, but this is indispensable to praying. We humble ourselves before God. That's why it says in First Chronicles, right? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves seek my face, turn from their wicked ways and pray. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You know, one of the things that the Bible says time and time again, that God really hates his pride. Um, he condemns it. And you know, he condemns other sins too. Don't get me wrong. But there's something about that narcissistic pride. And, and here, here, I know we're talking about prayer, but I need to say these, look, I need to inject with these points because I think they're very important to understand. <clears throat> um, I think I've shared this before. And I was it was me and my wife and we're in a car. And I said, I think highly of myself. <laughs> and she said, that's a proud thing to say. And I said, no, it's not. It's a biblical thing to say. And um, I said, the Bible says this. It says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's what the text is. The, the qualifying term more means that there's this measure There's this parameter, and as long as you stay within this parameter, and you think of yourself with sober judgment, then it's appropriate. Why do you think proud people always fall? Because they miscalculate their measure. They're thinking thinking with delusioned terms. They're not in connection with who they really are. And in reality... And so they overestimate their own importance and their own ability. That's what proud people do. Why do you think that you always see them fall? Pride becomes before a fall. But if I think in accord with sober judgment, I understand who I am, what I can do. I'm level-headed with um, my worth because we're not worthless, by the way. We do have worth... Bible makes that very clear it's not because of our own abilities or anything like that. But um, for example, someone puffs up his chest in a ring, think he's all big and bad, right? And I'm, and, and what happens is they think of themselves more highly and gets them in trouble and then they get knocked out. Right. And sometimes in the first round, whereas humility doesn't try to overstretch itself, doesn't overreach. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. I believe it's, I love the statement. He said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's to think of yourself less. Because what do we, when we go around proud people, what do we see? I, 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 I And it always centers around something that that their accomplishments, and it never points to God, or it never will congratulate someone. Um, There was this guy I was working with, and I I would cut him off because he annoyed the heck out of me, because every time I gathered around this guy, we were talking about just random things. I would bring up a random topic, and somehow he would always bring it back to him. He's all, yeah, I remember that one time when I did that. And that was cool that I'm like, I'm just talking about work, dude. This has nothing, you know, but it always. And so I would just leave the room like really quickly because I I hated to hear that because what it shows is they're so conscious of themselves. It can't ever get to another topic. Right. So I want us to understand what pride means is sometimes because Confidence in God, confidence in God to the carnal mind looks like pride. I've had I've had someone say, because I remember one time someone was challenging me and I said, I walk in purity of heart, brother. And they were so warped in their mind that they were insisting that my heart was sinful and corrupt. I said, I don't believe that the bible says i'm pure in heart and they were trying to find some sort of le- loophole to and and they accused me of pride because i was taking a stance on the word of god and i said you know i'm not going to give you that foothold for you to say that i'm operating in pride because i'm analyzing this text and i'm saying that god says that i'm pure in heart because i love him i cherish him and i'm not walking in rebellion I'm not walking in open sin. I see him. I see his worth. The Bible says that those who are pure in heart, they shall see him. I see him. And I'm not proud in saying that. I know who God is. And he knows me. Ask me how I know. Because I spend every morning with him. I know him. And it's it's, it's by grace all by grace let he that boasts boast in the lord right but my point in saying that is because um walk in confidence walk in boldness you don't have to walk moping around here's another thing you don't have to walk around conscious of sin all day i am we are righteousness conscious you know, I love reformers for many things, but one of the things I don't like about their, their is, is it always ends up being sin conscious. It's like, no, I'm righteousness conscious. I'm not conscious of sin anymore. I am conscious of the things that I commit in the here and the now, but I'm not, wa- I'm not looking in my heart all day saying, did I do that? Did I do this? Did I do that? No, the Bible says that by the once and for all sacrifice, and it says this in Hebrews, that it says that the old sacrifice could not purge the conscience. But it says that we've been washed with pure water by a sincere faith and can therefore be right. Let me, let me give you this example. If I, if, look, if I say this in a group of 20 Christians, I am, I am a righteous man. And I say that boldly and confidently. Guess what? At least one of them will say, but probably half of them, but you're not perfect. Guess what that says of them? They're sin conscious. They're always thinking about, oh, yeah, but sin. And it's like, no, no, let's move past that. That doesn't mean, and once again, we've just looked at the text where it says, Lord, forgive us of our sins just as we've forgiven those who've sinned against us. It's not denying the practical reality that we are still undergoing perfection, right? But if my position is in Christ and I'm not living in open rebellion, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse me from sin. Cleanse me from a a guilty conscience. I hope that makes sense. Because that's that's another thing that will hinder our prayers if we always are so sin conscious and the, the uh, John says this in first John that that's when our heart condemns us but it says but God is greater than our hearts let, let me let me just let me prove this from the text because I don't want you guys thinking it's my opinion I have to look it up though um, Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews chapter ten, verse two. Oops, what's going on here? Hebrews chapter ten, verse two. So it says, for since the law, I'm beginning at verse one, but since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed Will no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices. There's a reminder of sins every year. And so. Um, so when it's talking about right here in verse 2. It says, otherwise would they not have seeds to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. So, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here is those former ways of sacrificing served as a reminder of sin every single year. But contrary to that, Jesus, having offered himself once and for all, there was no longer a reminder of sins. There, there, it's implying a consciousness not of sin, but of righteousness. Um also in verse seventeen where God says that he doesn't remember our sins, yeah, like yeah. he forgets about them, like why should we then constantly remind yeah. ourselves in a sense? Amen. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. If God has remind has forgotten of our lawless deeds. We ourselves should no longer be conscious of uh, of those sins. Hold on, let me look, look at one other one. Um, I feel like there was one other passage. But, anyways, the point though is that if we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then we should be conscious of, of our righteousness in Him. We should be conscious of that. If, why does the Bible promise us freedom and liberty? If I can't be free of this continual, this perpetual reminder of my past. It's not true freedom. The Bible talks of a joy in Christ, a joy in the Holy Ghost. Doesn't talk about a depression in God. So joy is available. Now, sorrow does exist, right? But it's typically because of things happen to us Or God entrusting his heart to us for the lost or for other things we want to see to come to pass. But we can have victory over sin and we can have a a, a consciousness of of our right standing with God. See, the Holy Spirit's work, it says the Holy Spirit is coming to the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. But you know what he also, because when you hear the word convict, you norm, I'm assuming you normally think of it in a negative sense, or like conviction of sin. It's not always the case. God also convicts us of our right standing before him. What does it mean to convict? There is conviction. There is evidence. And he bears witness to your heart of your right standing before him in Christ. That's how we can have confidence and we can approach the throne of grace boldly. But anyways. Um, <clears throat> can I ask something? Yeah, go ahead. Um, you said like uh, there shouldn't be any consciousness of sin. Are you saying uh, that only for our past life or the sins we commit while we are with God? but as well because yeah yeah continue yeah so basically well number one our past life too but what i'm not saying is this what i am not saying is if you just committed a sin it's not right to say oh i didn't see that happen i'm not conscious of just what happened Right, and it just kind of gets swept under the rug, sort of thing. No, that's not what I'm saying. Is there? What I'm saying is there are some people that are walking uprightly, and yet still are are walking like they're on eggshells because they're worried about something they've done, or there's no confidence, there's no liberty, there's no freedom. It's bondage, and and or they're always looking too much into their heart, always examining their motives. And, um, or they're always attributing any success, when I say success, I don't mean that in a worldly sense, of anything to do, anything that they do for God, like, oh, that was done in pride. I'm such a wretched sinner. That's the sort of attitude I'm saying we can be freed from, where everything is attributed to sin, even in many cases where you're not sinning, and you're always calling into suspicion your own motives and intents and and so that's what I'm kind of getting at. I'm not saying if someone literally fornicated or someone just cussed or you know or fl- gave someone the finger because they you know whatever that they are they should not be conscious of that. No, you should be conscious of that and confess it. What I'm saying are these things that are beyond your point of examination, things that you're reading into, um, or even things that you've already confessed your sins for. And are continuing to get brought up. And um, or in so many cases where uh, I've met some people that are so meticulous in their mind where some of the smallest things they'll ask, is this a sin? And it's because they're so scared. They're, and there's a healthy uh, fear that we should have of, over, of offending God but not to the point to where it becomes this dread like no matter which corner you turn you're always thinking I'm going to sin. You know, and that's not that's not our that's not what the will of the father is. You know, it's like my son he doesn't go around walking on eggshells around me thinking every which way he turns he's going to uh, upset or offend me or something. Right? He knows the do's and he knows the don'ts right and generally speaking he does what is right every now and again i have to correct him and we make it right and so it's very much the same way of our relationship with the father is you know it's like and i speak from past experience too of just always conscious like should i go there should i do that Should should i should i should i because it was everywhere i turned it was this question of am i sinning and it's like, no, I walk in confidence. I walk in faith. I walk knowing that I have a, a, a relationship with God. And, and if I'm really in the wrong, the Lord will let, let me know. And I will make that correction, you know. And so when I say no longer consciousness of sin, I mean, one, the longer of your past life or the sins that you just recently confessed or walking on eggshells. I don't know if that's a term you guys use over there in Europe, but it means like you're just so. Yeah, yeah. we Yeah. Okay. Um, number seven is continuing in prayer over time. So go to Deuteronomy chapter nine. Verse 25. Check this out. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's just like, anyway, I'll, I'll read it. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. Lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he had promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness for they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. What did that make for a great prayer meeting? 40 days and forty nights. <laughs> I love it because I love when the word of God corrects our faulty thinking in, in, the, in the liberal church. I really detest when I always hear people say it's not necessary to pray long. I mean, I see Moses doing that. And look, his prayer isn't very long. So this was his prayer for 40 days and 40 nights. Yes. Because he had the burden of the Lord. And it doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. But those who have enjoyed themselves to into intimacy and relationship with God, I understand very well that there are times where for a whole hour straight, for 30 minutes straight, you you pray something and you wait on God for that entire time. And there's probably not very much more to say. But this is 40 days and 40 nights, and this is exactly what Moses has gone up to pray about. why because it's not a formula if we think prayer is a formula then we're missing out its relationship <clears throat> and so he prays for 40 days and 40 nights um look at jesus in Luke chapter 6 verse 12 you don't have to turn there it says he prayed all night. In Luke chapter 5 verse 16 it says he himself was often withdrawn into the wilderness regions uh, into the wilderness regions and praying. So he secluded himself. At times Jesus prayed all night. And see, we don't have the benefits that the Bible talks about. So people are so estranged to peace. People are so estranged to obtaining answers in prayer. People are so estranged from all these precious promises because they do not pray rightly. They do not pray effectively. They do not pray biblically. And so the sort of dinner table prayers about Important things in life will not work right. Um, second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul besought the Lord three times about the same thing. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And some people will cite Matthew chapter five or seven saying, Don't heap up empty phrases. They're not empty phrases if you mean it every time the same with the same amount of heart as you did at first. And secondly, as Jesus says do not pray like the pagans because they think they think that they are heard for their many words. I've said this before. We don't say many words in order to get heard, rather, we are heard, therefore, we say many words. I hope that makes sense. So, can let me- you um type those verses? Uh, okay. oh, yeah, sorry about that, like from the 40 days and 40 nights of praying, and then all that was after that. <laughs> <laughs> So Deuteronomy chapter 9, and then there's Luke chapter 5, verse 16, as well as chapter 6, verse 12, Um, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, Mark chapter fourteen verse thirty six Colossians four verse two and then first Thessalonians five verse seventeen and in Mark as well in, in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus prayed three times right an hour each. It says, being in agony, he prayed the more earnestly. Um, And that leads to the, the, the eighth one. We have two more and then we'll come to. Well, I'm going to just cover these ones quickly because I type fast. (laughs) Seven was um, continuing in prayer over time. So number eight is praying earnestly. So in accord with Praying earnestly, here's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. I want us to turn there. Now i often say, this is not theatrics, right? <laughs> I say that with intentionality because um, so often when people have these haphazard prayers um, and are are, are only accustomed to seeing a certain way of praying that when they hear something like myself, like someone like myself pray, they might think that's a little bit rambunctious or, um, I don't know, just depending on someone's perspective, um, they might think that's just unnecessary. Why are you, why are you doing all that? You know, that, that sound, it sounds like uh, you're a bull in a China shop. Why do you have to get loud? You know, sort of deal. And I understand that people have different temperaments and some people are more quiet than others. Um, but at the end of the day, there's this sort of earnestness that's involved, sort of passion that's involved. In both preaching and praying. And so look at Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. In the days of his flesh. Jesus. Offered up prayers and supplications. With loud cries. And tears. So what is. How is Jesus praying? He's praying with loud cries. And he's praying with tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He's not calm and collected there. He's praying fervently. He's praying earnestly. He's praying with passion. Right? I mean, I see it there. Uh, Would we agree that's right there in the text? Loud cries and tears. It doesn't I'm not saying that we should manufacture that. It's like, okay, let's all cry. No, but there's a very real element of of being heard by God where or we're praying, we're pouring out our soul. That's why I don't I don't trust preachers that never cry when they preach. Because they don't pour out their soul. So you probably don't got very much of it. <clears throat> um or Amos in Amos chapter 7 verse 2 says oh lord god it says oh lord god please forgive how can jacob stand he is so small exclamation mark This is exclamatory. This is, oh Lord, please. You know, there's desperation involved. There's earnestness. That's what it means to pray earnestly. Pray with passion with your whole soul. To pray all that is within you. Number nine is waiting on the Lord we're almost done. So the first one where we spoke of continuing in prayer over time, that's speaking with regards to the amount of time we spend in one single session of prayer, right? So I might be praying and I, in that single session of prayer, I might pray two hours, right? And I am seeking the Lord. And it's really probably only about one thing maybe. And during that time, I'm praying earnestly. But this this one right here is waiting on God for a long duration of time. That means this might be a month. It might be a year until I finally see the manifestation of what the request that I had received for the Lord. In Psalm chapter 27, Psalm chapter 27, verse 14, it says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. How many things in our lives could that single statement be applied to? I can certainly attest to the fact that it applies to me. (laughs) There are things that I'm waiting on the Lord for. And so what what David's saying is, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Why can our hearts take courage? Because he has heard. The moment you set your heart to God, he has heard. But there's a duration of time that needs to, to take place until God finally brings that about. Yeah, I said I would move over these quickly. And the last two are praying in private. I hope that the time, I hope that when we join on Wednesdays, that's not our only time of praying. I like what Raymond Hill said. He says the secret of praying is praying in secret write that down secret to praying is praying in secret so that should that should be present within our lives we should have secret time of prayer okay and then lastly is praying with others Matthew chapter 18 Verse 19, this is why I don't believe in Lone Ranger Christianity, another reason why. You know, there are some things that God will not answer until you, until you pray corporately with people. You know that? You know, there's some things that God will require for another person to pray for you. Some Sometimes God, you know, for example, tongues. Tongues is one of those things that People have said, I've prayed and God hasn't answered. Well, sometimes God ordains for someone to pray for you. You know, there's times where, okay, where I I was having a hard time and I could not get a breakthrough prayer for a whole week. And it finally led me to humble myself. And I realized what the Lord was doing. He was saying, you need to ask someone to pray for you because there is no... I stand alone as an independent Christian, sort of Rambo Christian that don't need anyone's help. The way that God keeps us dependent on one another for the purpose of keeping us humble. That's another reason why we don't have all the gifts either, is to keep us dependent upon some of those who do have those gifts. Like today, I reached out to a brother, he's a very intelligent brother, he knows his Greek, Went to one of the most prestigious Christian universities earned his, you know, uh master's in like theology or biblical studies, really great guy. And I asked him a very complicated ecclesiological question and I needed help because he's knowledgeable. Right. And uh, so <clears throat> um, that keeps us interdependent on one another. But what we read here in Matthew chapter 18 is this. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So for certain things, God requires for you to come in agreement with two other brothers or sisters. That's why the whole, um, it's just the prayer meeting attitude is. It's a stinky attitude. That's that's what Charles Spurgeon said is the engine of the church. I'm scared of churches that don't have separate prayer meetings set aside for that sole purpose. Because that shows me that they're shallow in the relationship with God. That is priority. That is absolute priority. Um, so let me just read a couple more. In Acts chapter 4, verse 24, chapter 4, verse 24 says, they lifted their voices together to God. This is together. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, you must also help by your prayers. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't remember which verse. It says that the the prayer of many may redound to the thanksgiving and the glory of God. So what happens is sometimes God wants to get glory. And the way he gets more glory is that more tongues would glorify him in thanksgiving. But that only happens when we gather together corporately and know what each other are praying about. So that when God answers, all of us have an occasion to rejoice in him. And since you have a need, I have a need, we all have a need, and then there's multiplied needs. We know that God hears prayer and there will be multiplied answers. And it only multiplies the amount of times we can thank him. All right. Um, so that's why, you know, even during prayer times or uh, test times of testimony are important because we need to hear about the times that God answers prayer. Like we just recently heard a testimony of someone that, uh, um, Someone had asked me to keep them, you know, in prayer. Uh, their uncle, they were dying from COVID. They're, he was dying from COVID. They were going to pull a plug on him. But he's recovering. They literally thought he was going to die. He was right there at that brink where he wasn't going. He was going to make it. He's recovering. That's an amazing testimony, man. And I'm not even sure he, if he was saved. So man how how much more So um <clears throat>